Well, this morning, listen, I am going to take a break, and I've been preaching for weeks and weeks, and we have a marvelous assistant pastor here who does our children, Maddie Wubker. She's going to bring the word this morning. And listen, this girl can bring the word. So listen, if you would welcome her as she comes to the pulpit this morning. Nice, Pastor. All right, so I'm Pastor Maddie. I'm the kids pastor and now also the youth pastor. So I'm from newborns to 18. That's all back there. So I'm just so thankful to Pastor for letting me come here and preach to you guys every once in a while. I love, 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 love preaching to the kids, but I especially love preaching to you guys because I get to take things to a different level that sometimes the kids can't can't grasp yet. So this morning, if you've ever heard me preach, I've been preaching out of the New Testament a lot, but we're going to go way back in the Old Testament this morning into Exodus chapter 15, just verses 15 through 21. And it's a message that God really laid on my heart for this time and this season that this church is going to. And it's called, How's Your Appetite? How's Your Appetite? So I grew up reading the King James, and when I went to Bible school, we always used the King James because it was closest to the Greek, so I always read out of the King James. My grandma was Southern, it was the King James Bible. So in the King James, Exodus chapter 15 says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take you every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for waking us up and getting us to church on this beautiful morning. I pray that this word you've given me permeates into every single heart. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So if you've ever talked to me or known anything about me, you would know that I love words. I love writing. I especially love the word of God. I love being able to preach the gospel to everybody, to the kids, to you, to anyone. But I especially love words. I teach special needs kids, and a lot of them... They, they can't communicate. So I'm constantly trying to figure out different ways to say words. I love words so much that I even taught my dog how to use words. Literally, she has buttons that say words and she, she talks. But the most special thing about words is I love the word of God. And did you know that the answer to every single problem that you would ever face can be found in the word of God? And the more you seek the word of God for answers, the less time you'll spend seeking answers on Facebook or the internet. Who uses like WebMD? Type in your symptoms 
and all of a sudden it spirals and you have something that you're dying of and you just have a headache. Look in the Bible first. You'll find the answer to every single problem that you have. And because of that, that means that everything in the Word of God was written on purpose. Every stroke of the pen was penned on purpose. Every psalm, every gospel, every parable, even the punctuation marks were written on purpose. God will put a comma to break up a sentence and a period to end one. Why does he put a comma? Because sometimes you have to use caution when you're going through something. Or sometimes you have to take a step back before you make a decision. Commas, periods, they're powerful. They can make huge differences in just a sentence. Even the titles of the books were written on purpose. That just means that even the, the entire Bible, punctuation, titles, all of it, all of it is preachable. I'm sure if you tried, you could spend a whole year just preaching on the names of the book of the Bible and get sermons out of all of them. What do you mean? Really? The titles of the books? All right, let's look at the first book, Genesis. I could preach a whole hour just on that one word. Why? Because what does Genesis mean? It means that God knows how to start something. God is a God that starts something. That means that even when something doesn't look good or sound good or the circumstances around it are crazy, God doesn't need the circumstances approval to start it. All he needs to do is get on top of it and speak into it. And whatever God wants it to be, it will be because he is a Genesis God. Is there anyone in here who God has ever started a good thing on your behalf? Just think back your entire life. Who has someone, raise your hand, who has someone that God has started something good on your behalf? And that means that when God starts it, he's going to sustain it. God doesn't start something he doesn't intend to finish. So if you raise your hand this morning that you have allergies and God has begun that work in your body, that means that you can be sure that God is going to finish that healing because God won't start healing you and then stop. If God's going to start a healing, he's going to finish a healing. If God's going to start healing your mind if something's going on, he's going to finish healing your mind. If you're praying for your finances and God has started to turn them around, God is going to finish turning them around because what God starts, he will sustain and finish. And as excited as I am that God is a Genesis God, I'm even more excited that God is the Exodus God. Why? Why does that make me more excited? Because there are some situations that you get yourself into that you cannot get yourself out of no matter how hard you try. So it's great that God is the exit God, the Exodus God. He can get you out of anything. He can get you out of addiction. He can get you out of financial trouble. He can get you out of a horrible job situation. God is the Exodus God. If, he, if you got brought in, he can bring you out. God will come right where you are and get you out. Is there anyone in here who God has ever gotten you out of something? If you've been in some despair, if you've been in some pain, if you've been in some health issue, is there anyone who God has gotten you out of something? Can we just take a minute and praise God for getting us out of something that we were stuck in? God always has an exit strategy for you. But that's where the devil always thinks, I got them. That's where I got them. They're stuck. They can't get out. I got them stuck in this dead-end job. I got them stuck in this sickness. I got this stuck in, stuck in this horrible relationship. I got them stuck in this poverty they're in. But the devil doesn't know that you know 
that just by looking at one book of the Bible, that God is an Exodus God. And I'm so glad that the title of Exodus is just Exodus, not the Exodus of. Why? Because if it would have been the Exodus of, it would have given parameters to what God can do in your life. It's not the Exodus of Israel. It's just Exodus. Like it's not the Genesis of the world. It's just Genesis. God is big enough and great enough to do his work in every single situation that you or anyone else could get themselves into and pull you out. Yes, Yes, Exodus is about the Israelites. Did they get themselves in some pretty sticky situations? Yes. Do we get ourselves into some pretty sticky situations? Of course. But aren't you thankful that it's just Exodus and not the Exodus of the Israelites? So we know if God could get them out, God can get me out too. So in the book of Exodus, if you've ever read it, it's the whole story of how the Israelites go from a place of bondage to a place of promise. And because whenever God walks you out, he only walks you out to walk you in somewhere. Anything that's going to walk you out and leave you in confusion, it's not God that walked you out. God's not going to walk you out somewhere and leave you confused. He's not going to pull you out until he knows he can put you in. He says, I'm not going to pull you out until I know that when you're out, you're going to follow me and only me. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom to realize there's no other way to get out but God. And sometimes we get angry. Like, why am I still in this? Why am I still stuck? Because God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows that if he pulls you out and you're not his, he is not the only one that you're going to be praising for getting you out, he's going to leave you in it. Until you hit the bottom and say, God, there is no other way that I can get out except you. And when I get out, I will only follow you because I know you're going to bring me to a place of promise. God will leave you in. So don't get angry at God if you're still stuck in something. Check yourself. And say, if God pulls me out, what am I going to do? Am I going to run right back? Or am I going to follow him and depend everything on him? See, when most people preach about Exodus, they preach about the slavery of the Israelites. When in reality, yes, they were slaves, but they were also in something bigger. They were in bondage. Bondage and slavery aren't the same. Bondage is a system of control. In order to get from one place, one level to the next, you have to relinquish control. You can't stay in, you can't go up if you're still stuck down here. If you still have control down here, you got to let it go. So I was talking about my dog earlier. I love my dog. I don't have kids. I got my dog. So I talk about her a lot. I use her, you know, pastor uses his kids, sermon illustrations. I use the dog. So on Sundays, if you've ever seen me sometimes get out of here kind of fast, it's because I work at a sheep herding farm on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons and the occasional Monday I have off from teaching. I go up there and I help people and their dogs learn how to herd sheep. So I have a two-year-old border collie, the same one that knows how to talk, named Skye. And throughout this process, people think, oh, you know, what do you... 
you put dogs on sheep, they know what to do. No. No. The dog might know what to do. The person does not. So when you're first starting out, you have the dog on a line, kind of like a, just a, just a cord, not a leash, because a leash will get stuck in the sheep's hoof or your foot, and then you fall down, not pretty. So we put them on a light line. And when you first start, you have them tight. Because sometimes they don't know what to do with their instinct. And they'll just lash out. Sometimes they bite sheep. Sometimes they just stop. But as you advance level to level and you and your dog get more and more confident, you give them a little more slack. And you give them more slack. And you give them more slack. To eventually you're at the point where you can walk in and put your dog right here. And I'll say, Sky, come by. That means go clockwise. And she'll go way out five so acres, get sheep from the other side and bring them back to me. Because I let go of the control that I had over her. And we have the same problem sometimes. We like control. Anybody like control? We like to be in control of things. But with God, he's in control. We have to let him take the ultimate control. Not us. And in order to get to the next level with God, we have to give up some of that control. The enemy knows if he can just get you stuck in an old mindset or thinking about your past, that he can keep control over you. Because how, how hard is it? And I think everyone struggles with it. You think about the past. You go back to something that's happened before. And without knowing it, you're getting yourself stuck. And the devil's like... I got him. I got him. Because you can be saved and you can still be enslaved by thoughts, by habits, by things that are not of God. One of the greatest powers of the enemy isn't to get you to go back. It's to get you to stand still. So this is kind of where our, the Israelites are at the beginning of Exodus. They're in Egypt, and God has heard from his people a cry at a level that he's never heard them before, begging them, begging him to get them out of where they are. We got to cry out as a church like that. Yes. Say, we're done with the formal level of worship that we had. We're done with the formal level of prayer, the formal, formal level of how we do things. We want to get out and go to what you have next, God. Do whatever to get us to the next level. You can't just sit here and everything be the same. God is a God who's unlimited, so things can advance. God's not just going to leave you in one spot when there's so much more that you have. So what does God do? He hears his people. They're crying out. They're in bondage. They're under the rule of Pharaoh. He sends a deliverer, a guy named Moses. And all of a sudden, just like that, God says, let my people go. And with God's authority on it, Pharaoh can't stop it. Did he try? Yes. Did he try real hard? Of course. But did he succeed? No. Because once God says something, it can't return to him void. So once God said, let my people go, there was no choice but for the Israelites to be set free. So a mass exodus of these people said, I'm done with yesterday. I'm done with being in bondage. Let's go to tomorrow. Is there anyone in here who is ready to go to the next level with God? 
You're done with being in bondage that which, with you were before. You're done with just doing, feeling the same old thing during worship and having the same prayer life. And you know there's more because God has more for you because he has unlimited resources. Is there anyone in here that is ready to go to the next level? Oh, that's not many. That's not many. Is there anybody in here that is ready to go to the next level with God? But the problem is walking out is easy. Anyone can walk out of something. Staying out is hard. Anybody can walk away from bondage. But it takes discipline to never go back. If you're in a relationship that is not right, you get treated bad, you get out. But so many times people go back. If you're in a job that you are not happy with and you get out, but then once you get out, you're like, well, now what? You go back. You give up alcohol. Say, I'm done. But then it gets hard. And you go back. You give up all these things. You give up thinking certain ways. You think, yeah, I got it. But then you go back. Staying out is hard. So I always wondered, why did it take so long for the Israelites to go from bondage into their promise. So God, who brought them out of Egypt, now had to get Egypt out of them. So sometimes the reason God adds process before he brings you to your promise is because he has to get Egypt out of you. Yeah, yeah, we don't like to hear that, right? And say, God, you got me out, now take me, take me where you want me to go. God says, uh-uh. Because if I take you out right now, I got to work on getting what you left out of you first. Even though they walked out of Egypt, even though Pharaoh was a dictator, he was not a nice guy, he was still the provider. In Egypt, he was the God. They couldn't eat without Pharaoh. They couldn't build homes without Pharaoh. They couldn't do anything without Pharaoh. He provided them with everything. They had to rely on him for everything. So God is saying, I walked you out, but it's not enough for me to just walk you out. I got to destroy Pharaoh. If God let Pharaoh stay around, what if the Israelites, when they're wandering around in the desert and it's hot and they have nothing, because who wants to carry like everything on your back? They didn't have a trunk or a car they could put things into. They had to walk. What if the Israelites just, they're walking and it's hot and they said, you know what? It's hard out here. We had it better in Egypt. Out there, at the moment, they didn't have food. They had whatever they could carry. In Egypt, at least they had a job. Might not have been a good one, but they had a job. They knew they were going to get food. They had shelter. It might not have been a good life, but they had provision. So God had to crush Pharaoh in their life. God had to get rid of the thing that was replacing him. And how did he do that? A little thing called the Red Sea. So the, the Israelites are walking. Moses parts the Red Sea. They all get safely across and what happens to the Egyptians and the Pharaoh? They get swallowed up. Yep. So what do you do 
when the only thing you leaned on is no longer living. They couldn't go back now. Besides there being the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh was gone. Their provider was gone. What do you do when God gets you out of something bad? A relationship, work, and you don't have anything to go back to. You want to go there, but you feel like you don't have it in you. Even though the person's not there, the job's not there, you still lack what you need to make it somewhere. Anyone ever felt like that? Whatever God removes in your life, he's responsible to replace in your life. God got rid of the Pharaoh, the provider for them. He was going to become the new provider. God gets rid of a bad job you were in. God's going to provide a better job. And whatever God was going to provide is way, way better than what you had before. Because God's not going to give you something worse than what you already had. Because everything that comes from God is good. Everything that comes from God is way up here. So you never have to worry about it. When God gets rid of it, whatever is coming next is greater than anything you could ever imagine. But if God doesn't choose to replace it, he'll become it. If you lost your dad, if you lost your mom, if you lost your best friend, and God doesn't replace it, God will become your dad. God will become your best friend. If he doesn't replace it, he will become it. And that's what happened. God didn't replace the Pharaoh. He didn't say, oh, okay, um, Israelites, there's a new Pharaoh, so if you want to go back to them, you can. Or I'm going to send a Pharaoh out to the desert, and he's going to give you all the food and let you build tents. No. God didn't do that. He became the provider So this kind of is where our text opens up. They're at Israel. The Pharaoh's gone. They're in the desert. And we get to see how God brings these people out of bondage, out of where they were, into the process of getting their promise. So God is just saying, you guys walk, and I'll feed you. Don't worry about anything. I got it. All you need to do is walk. I do the same thing with the sheep. Literally, that's what I do all day. I have the corn, you walk, I'll feed you. It's the same thing. God's saying, don't worry about anything, don't worry about the heat, don't worry about the food, don't worry about the the Egyptians, you walk, I'll feed you. And what do they find? They found this thing called manna. Manna isn't a brand It's not something you can buy in the store. Manna literally means, what is it? So they look down, and they're like, manna? What? What is this? They they still had an old mindset. God gave them something brand new, a new provision. And they says, what is it? What am I supposed to do with this? It's not something that they'd seen before. It didn't look like anything that they'd ever seen. They'd never heard of it. Have you ever stepped into a new level with God, with a new provision that God gave you, and said, what is it? I don't know how to use this. I don't know how to work with this. What do I do with manna? Do I put something on it? Do I eat it plain? Have you ever had God give you something, and you're like, 
what am I supposed to do with this? What, what is this? You've never seen it before. Just because you've never seen it doesn't give you an excuse not to use it. It didn't give the Israelites an excuse not to use the manna. Just like when God gives you something, it doesn't give you the excuse not to use it. If God gives you a gift, you don't, like, what do I need this for? doesn't give you the excuse not to use it. God doesn't give something to you on accident. God is intentional with everything he does. And if he gave you a provision, use it. So back to my dog, because I can tie her into everything. I'm convinced. So with, when I taught her how to talk, I would talk to her just, you know, with words, like we do, just like you would teach a baby how to talk. And one day I decided to put these buttons down that said the words that I had said to her. And at first she looked at it like, what is this? What are you giving me? What are these little things? And I taught her how to press it. And then all of a sudden she realized it said outside. So all of a sudden, this new provision that I had given her allowed her to tell me, hey, I'm going to go outside. And as I kept adding more and more and taking her to new levels in her communication, each new button that I put down, at first she didn't know how to use it until I pressed it and it said the word that she knew. Now she has 72 or something, something like that. <laughs> she talks in full sentences. But if she, it didn't give her an excuse not to use it. Just because I put it down, and she, if she never used it, whatever. But it wasn't an excuse. I said, here it is. You want to communicate with me? This is how you do it. It's the same thing with us. When God gives you something, and it doesn't look like something you know, doesn't give you the excuse. Because your answer rarely looks like what you had in mind. Sometimes the answer from God won't look like you thought it should look like. Have you ever prayed for something, and God answers your prayer, and it was something completely unexpected? You were expecting one thing, and God said, no, 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 no. This is how it's going to happen. This is how... This is how it's going to work. Because God knows everything. God knows exactly what to do and exactly what you need. We don't know. We think we know. But we don't. But it took Moses to say, before you throw it away or walk over it, I know that this, this is the answer. Why did it take Moses to tell them, what it was. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't walk over top of your answer and leave. If you're contending for something, if you're here this morning and you're contending for a miracle, you're contending for a breakthrough, don't walk over it and leave because it's something that you didn't expect. That's such a big fear of mine. We pray for things and we pray for things, but sometimes we don't have the discernment to realize that the answer is right in front of us. The answer was literally laid at our feet. Has God answered way more prayers for you than you have discerned? It's a hard question. Think about it. Because we get so set in our mindsets thinking, okay, I want out of this job, or I want out of this relationship, friendship, whatever, and it needs to happen like this, 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 this. And our mind is so set in that 
that God can lay the answer right in front of you, a way out, a way to fix everything. But we are so set. We don't have the discernment and we miss it. So it took Moses for these Israelites to say, no, 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 no. Don't just step over it. Don't just throw it away because it looks like something weird that you've never seen. This is what God is providing. Because God always leaves clues in his resources. What do you mean? Okay, number one, he laid it on the ground. Like, okay, Pastor Manny, what, what does that have to do with anything? Because when God gives you something, he's always going to put it in a posture of praise and worship. Think of where the manna was. It was on the ground. What they have to do to pick it up? They got to kneel down and pick it up. What does that automatically put them in? A posture of praise and worship. Because if you can get it and not thank God for it, it wasn't God who gave it to you. If you can get it on your own and then you praise yourself for it, it wasn't God that gave it to you. So think about all the things that you have in your life. If you could get it yourself and you praise yourself and say, man, what a good job I did. Who gave it to you? The manna was on the ground. They wanted to step over it. But Moses said, no. This is from God. Because God will always put something that puts you in a posture of praise and worship for him. Another thing, another clue. The size was enough to fit in their hand. Why is that important? Because God will never give you anything more than you can handle when he takes you somewhere new. They could easily pick it up. It's not like it was some giant world's largest pizza that it took 50 people to carry. It was on the ground. They can pick them up. They can pick them up. Easy, because God is not going to give you something more than you can handle. Even the shape. It says the shape was circular, kind of like a, a coriander seed. It was a circle. It wasn't a box. It wasn't a square. Why is that important? Something as simple as a shape. Because anything God gives you on a new level in him can't fit in a box. If it could fit in a box, that means there would be limitations on it. God is not in a box. God is outside of the box. God can step in the box if he wants to, right? My, old, my uh, apologetics theology professor taught me this in college. He, on the first day of class, got a trash can, and he put a box in it. And then he stepped inside the box. He said, God made the trash can. God made the box. God can step in the box. God can step outside the box. God is not limited by the box. We are. We are. We have limitations. But God is not. And I always remember that as a visual. If I'm stuck in something, I'm like, God, how are you going to get me out of this? He'll just step outside the box. That's why you always hear the saying, like, think outside the box. God is an outside-of-the-box kind of thinker. The manna was a circle, like a big seed. That means it was infinite. It's circular, eternal. God is eternal. There's no showing where it starts, where it ends. The provision from God was eternal. All they had to do was use it. And the last thing, the last clue, the color of the manna was white. What does white mean? It was pure. It hadn't been tarnished by men. If the manna had been made by people, it would have had some color in it. 
besides white. It would have had maybe some fingerprints. It would have had some dirt. Maybe they cooked it. Maybe it had some burn spots on it. It was white. It was pure. It was laying in the ground, and it was still white. That should have been enough of a clue to be like, no one made this. Only God could have made this. It hadn't been tainted by men. So now we get to see how God is going to bring these people into the promise that they had waiting for them. And God said, I'll feed you, but only in one way. And the text says he fed them every man, every day, according to their eating. And that's, that's what this whole thing has been about. That whole thing, everything I talked about before. Every man, every day, according to their eating. If you're a music person, anybody a music person in here? The word according is actually a musical term. Did you know that? According, it means in harmony with. So God said, I'll feed each man every day in harmony with what? With their own hunger. Every man, every day. Every man was being fed according to their own personal appetite. So it's the same principle now. No matter your age, the youngest kid we have back here to the oldest person we have in here, your race, your background, your culture, when it comes time for God to feed you, he will only feed you according to your personal appetite. He will. There could be a six-year-old back there who's hungrier than you are. The only meal you had today was the one you were ready for. What you ate in worship was according to what you had the appetite to eat. What you're getting right now is according to the appetite that you have to eat. What you get during prayer, what you get in your personal study time, is according to what you have to eat. The appetite that you have. You will only eat on the level of your own personal appetite. When you're not hungry for it, it's not a God problem. Because whoever wanted more manna, there was more available. Whoever didn't want the more was just only eating on the level that they wanted to. So a lot of times we get angry with God. We see people, you know, having breakthroughs, getting healed, all these wonderful things. And we say, why isn't that happening to me? How's your appetite? Look at the person experiencing all these great things. God is moving so powerfully through them. What do you think the difference is? We get angry with God, like, God, why are you doing that to them and not to me? How's your appetite? So in this service, God's feeding, 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 feeding. And for some, they're getting all that God has. But there's one or two of you that you're just nibbling at it. You're just nibbling at what God took special care of to prepare for you. It's kind of like, like in economics, supply and demand. Who remembers, um, who remembers Blockbuster? Anybody remember Blockbuster? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the cool thing, right? Even when I was little, my dad or my mom would be like, all right, guys, it's Friday night. 
we're going to go to Blockbuster. And that was the greatest place in the world for a kid because all these movies. Even, like, like even now, like the movie theaters, right? Movie theaters, we used to do that like on our birthdays, our big special treat, because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So it was on your birthday, you get to pick one thing you want to do. One of my little sisters would always want to go to the movie theater on her birthday. And now there's no more blockbusters. A lot of movie theaters are closing down. Why? Because things like Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and all these things on demand that you can just get from the comfort of your home took over. There was no demand for a VHS or a DVD that you had to go and get from Blockbuster. But did you know that Blockbuster had like the greatest DVD revenue in like the world? They made a good DVD. They had a lot of them. But what happened? The demand went down. Now I don't even think there's a Blockbuster open anywhere. Anywhere. So think of all the things that you've had in the past that just simply disappeared because something new came along. Even like iPods. No one has an iPod anymore, right? Because everything's on your phone. You have an iPod still? Oh, all right, <laughs> Janet's got an iPod. I had all of them. I had like the little, the little stick one, the small one. Now everyone just has a phone. So even those things, CD players, all these things that we can list that disappeared because the demand went down. A thing of the past, because there wasn't a demand. If it's true of these things, then even God, the supplier, is at the mercy of the demander. God has an infinite supply. But even God can be held back in a move of God when there's no demand for his supply. If you want to stop a move of God, here's a quick way to do it. Come in with an old attitude, an old mindset, sit on your row, cross your arms, have the same service over and over and over and over again, get out by this time so you can make lunch reservations. How's your appetite, church? Think about it. Take a minute. Think about how your appetite is. What demand do you have in your heart? If God is moving here and here and here and here and here and he sees, oh, they got this much, God's going to do, whoop. Okay, let's go to here, 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 here. I heard one of my, one of the pastors I heard speak at college, he said something so profound and something he was preaching at a conference. He said that he was watching this show, 600 Pound Life. Anyone ever seen that show? Yeah. And he said that he was like, in the middle of watching this show, and God spoke to him and was like, hey, listen. He's like, I'm watching 600 Pound Life. What does this have to do with God? He said, that person is like my spirit. Because the person in the show was saying that when they walk into a building or into a room or into a church, they scan the room and look around to see if there's somewhere that can hold their weight. And if there's not somewhere that he can sit down and hold his weight, he has to leave. So think about yourself. Think about our church. Picture the Holy Spirit coming in and looking around and saying, is there someone in here? Just one person. 
who can hold my weight. And then I'll stay. If not, I can't stay. How's your appetite, church? How's your appetite for the Spirit? How's your appetite for the things of God? So don't come into worship. Fold your arms. Stand like a lump. Because maybe it's not the song you like. Maybe the drums were a little too loud. Maybe the guitar wasn't in tune. Who cares? Pastor's guitar is always in tune. (laughs) Who cares? Because it's not about you. It's about releasing the supply in the house because your hunger could release someone else's miracle if you just have the appetite for it. God is trying to tell the church that if you're stalling, it isn't his fault. God has had a meal ready for you for a long, long time. But unless your hunger gets up there, you'll never eat on that level. The devil will do everything that he possibly can to try and steal your appetite. How's your appetite? Do you have an appetite for love? Have you been hurt so much by people in the past that you can't be a real disciple? Are you a disciple? God's got us all to be disciples, but how can we do that without love? One of the signs that your appetite is right is that your love is right. To love people on another level. Like, do you walk down the street or walk in Publix or wherever, and then you see people, do you wonder, are they going to hell or going to heaven? That's an appetite of love. Loving all people. And I know pastors said this before. When revival happens, you got to be ready to have all types of people in this church. Because it's not you that needs the saving. It's them. And they need love. They need love from disciples of Christ, like you and me, to show them what's in store for them. That's how you know if your appetite's right for love. Do you genuinely have a love for people? And it goes beyond that. Do you have a love for the souls of people? Sometimes people will do things that you don't like, right? It's going to happen. We're people. People get mad, but do you have a love for their soul? It can be the person that you do not like most on the planet. I tell the kids this all the time. They're like, there's this one kid in school. There's this bully. I said, well, you going to show him love? How can I show him love? They're a bully. I said, what did Jesus do? Jesus showed everyone love. Look who Jesus hung out with. Jesus didn't hang out with the people that were, you know, top of the line. He hung, yeah, he hung out with, he hung out with just the regular people, people that everyone else hated, and he showed them love. So I tell the kids all the time, show people love, and look past what they're doing on the outside, because God doesn't look at that anyway. Look at their soul. Think of, when I get to heaven, and I see that bully, is it because I showed him love? So I always tell the kids, always be in the mindset of looking at people. Are they saved or not? Because I guarantee there's a lot of people on this planet that the answer is not. And it's our job to get them to yes. Wouldn't it be great if you walked by everyone and you could just tell, like, yep, 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 
Yep, yep. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be so awesome. But it's not. That's why God gave us the job. The devil's going to do everything he can, though, to steal that appetite from you. So it's a shame when Christians shout and dance in church, but you bring nobody to Jesus outside of these four walls. In church, in church, you're jumping, you're shouting, you're praising, you're saying amen. So people in here would think, oh, man, she must be on fire when she gets outside of this church. But then you go home and you do nothing about it. If you've saved no one, what are you doing with it? There has to be an appetite for love. Do you have an appetite for life? Do you still thank God every day for a new day? When you got up this morning, even though you lost an hour of sleep and you might have been grumpy, did you still thank God for waking you up? Yes. When you have Jesus, no day is really bad because the Bible says you have new mercies every morning. So if today was bad, you know, well, I got a new mercy every morning. Tomorrow's going to be even better. Do you have an appetite for life? But the real thing is, do you have an appetite for God? When you have a real appetite for God, you'll do anything to be close to him. Anything. That means even if the power went out today, there was no mics, there was no keyboard, there were no lights, there, were no, there was nothing. Would you still have an appetite for God? Think of it. Is your appetite for God determined by the songs, the preaching, or can you come into church already praising God for everything he's done and you could have church all by yourself? Are you that type of person? Is that your appetite for God? That you don't need all this. You just need him. But if your appetite isn't good, what took it? Some of the pains that you have in life are just hunger pains. So my sister, Laura, the one who's... Um, almost a doctor. She lives down in Miami. When we were little, we went to the movie theater, of course, for her birthday, and she loved movie theater popcorn. Anybody love movie theater popcorn? Yeah. I had a friend that works in the movie theater. He said they leave that stuff in there for like three days. Don't eat it. <laughs> After I heard that, I was like, ah, oh, no more. No, I'll sneak some in the bag. Yeah, they just pour new butter on it. That's what they do. So she loved movie theater popcorn. For her birthday, she would always get, you know, the big Coke and the big movie theater popcorn. So she's sitting there, and she's eating it and eating it and eating it. I forgot what movie we saw. But when we got home, she's like, Mom, I don't feel so good. She got, like, food poisoning or something from the movie theater popcorn. And for years, she would not touch popcorn. I'm sure everybody has had something like that happen to them, Right? Like you eat something and then it makes you sick. You're like, mm -mm. nope, nope. You lost your appetite for it, right? Probably sometimes for a long time. Like I think it was like 10 years she went without eating popcorn because it was just so traumatic for her that she's like, no, I'm done. I lost my appetite for it. That's some of us in the spirit though. A bad experience 15 years ago couldn't, could have taken your appetite. And for all those years, you haven't grown. You never broke through it to get it back. So be the church that says, I'm not going to be fed only on this level. I'll be fed on every single level that I came to get and more of God. 
So after God was feeding every man according to his eating, Moses made a declaration and said, what you get today is only for today. God says you can't take today's meal and today's blessing into tomorrow. If you don't eat it today, it's going to be wasted. God hates waste. And because God hates waste, God can't feed fairly. Even when God fed the 5,000, he gathered up all the extras because he will not let there be waste where there should have been an appetite. If you don't eat it today, you've missed out on the meal for today. Every time you come to church is a meal. Every time you're praying in the car is a meal. You're worshiping in your car. Anyone like to play worship music in the car if you're driving somewhere? Yeah, that's a better way to spend your time. If you're thinking, if you have a long drive, put on some worship music or just pray. Listen to an audio Bible. There's so many things that we have access to now. If you don't have any of that, just sing by yourself. No one's there to hear you. God doesn't care what you sound like. He made your voice anyways. So those that tried to keep the manna for tomorrow, what did the Bible say happened to the manna? It had worms and it stank. So I got a question for you. Are you trying to serve people what you wouldn't even eat? Don't feed people what you should have been eating all along. God is trying to do something that the world has never, ever seen. I firmly believe that. But he's looking for a people that will still come and have a revival without the music. They have an appetite, a hunger for a move of God. Without all this, there could still be a move of God. My grandma always used to tell me stories about Azusa Street. They didn't have the stuff we have now. And that was one of the greatest revivals that this part of the world has ever seen. They've been in like an old dirt floor building in the middle of the bad part of L.A. And she would tell me that when she went to preach there, like years later, like she started preaching when she was five years old. My grandpa would sit her on like a soapbox and she would just sing in the middle of Skid Row in downtown L.A. And she said, when you went by Azusa, Azusa Street, you could still feel that God was there, that there was a lingering they would, they would stand outside, and she would sing in front of the worst, like, strip clubs and everything. Skid Row, like, the worst of the worst in L.A. But she had an appetite. And people can tell when you have an appetite, right? If you've ever been at work, and you're hungry, and your stomach starts growling, can people tell you're hungry? Yeah, yeah. I always hated in school when it was, like, dead silent because everyone's taking a test. And that's when your stomach decides to growl, Right? When it's dead silent, that's when it decides to growl. So God is looking for people that are hungry, that have a hunger for revival, that have a hunger for more of him. And I wondered, like when I was growing up and when I was in college, I saw things that I'd never seen before. I saw people laid out on the altar and literally sitting there and seeing like blind eyes open and deaf ears here. And there was a kid in my college that had, that had crutches and his leg was like broken in five places. And we were at a conference and he came up to get prayed for. And he literally, everything was healed. Every single bone. I have seen it with my own eyes. Why don't we see that today? Why isn't that normal? That is normal, exactly. That's normal. In the Bible days, that was normal church. Why isn't it normal? Some of you in here have never even seen a miracle. 
It used to be something normal. Why aren't we seeing it? The kids in the back, they've seen miracles. Why? Because they have the hunger. There's a reason the Bible says be like a little kid. Because the kid has no limits. They're not tarnished by the world. They haven't been maybe stuck in as many things as you've been. If, they, if you say, God says he can do this and he's going to do it, they say, okay. Their hunger is infinite. So when I broke my, I forgot what it was, I think my pinky finger, one of my kids, one of my students broke my finger. I had a, like the bandage on it, I couldn't move it, it was all messed up, it was swollen, it was bruised, it was like black and blue. Literally, like this big in black and blue. So I asked the kids that they'd pray for it. We've been talking about how God heals people today, still. And then how they have that same power. I said, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So if you command this finger to be healed in Jesus' name, then it'll be healed. They said, okay, Pastor Maddie, we'll pray for you. And this one little boy, like seven years old, before we even started praying, said, Pastor Maddie, take the splint off your finger. I said, why? He said, because God's going to heal it. You don't need it anymore. I said, all right. So they, they ripped it off my finger and threw it on the ground. They started praying. No lie. My finger was in the right place. The bruising was gone. How many know it takes a long time for a bruise to go down? And that was it. I could move it. It was completely healed. Why? Because they had the hunger for it. They had the appetite. They knew that if God says he can do it, he can do it. And I think that their act of faith saying, Pastor Maddie, take the splint off. You're not going to need it. I think that right there confirmed the miracle. Because they had enough hunger, enough of an appetite to say, God, you can do it. Do it. So why aren't we seeing those things today? Because the hunger isn't there. The greatest revivals in the world, from a small church to a big church, what sets them apart? Their hunger, their appetite. And sometimes in revival, or even a good service, even a good meeting, if you don't have the hunger, God's going to move and you're going to get left behind. God's going to move without you or not. So check yourself. How's your appetite? Think of every aspect in your life. How's your appetite with God? That's the biggest thing I want to ask you this morning. How's your appetite with God? In worship this morning, how is your appetite? If your appetite got taken, think about what took it. Remember, God is the Exodus God. He can get you out. And he can help you stay out. He'll bring you to your promise. He's a Genesis God. He's an Exodus God. He's all the way to the Revelation God. He can do anything. But you have to have the appetite for it. So we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to have Pastor Kevin come up. And he's going to lead us in a worship song again. Check your appetite. Have the appetite for more of God. Use this time to get all the manna that you want. Because remember, the manna was endless. He who wanted more had more. He who didn't had less. So I want you to stand to your feet. This isn't about me. This isn't something that I can tell you to do. Because God feeds each according to their own appetite. So as he begins to sing, 
You praise, you worship. If you want to come up here, go right ahead because this is between you and God and your personal appetite with God. So if we want to be a church that is hungry for a move of God, that is hungry for revival, check your appetite. Have an endless appetite. Be so, so hungry that God will just fill you and fill you and fill you. Don't be the person that the Holy Spirit will pass over because he says, they can't hold my weight. Welcome him in right now as Pastor Kevin begins to sing.